podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Monday, the 15th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. For example, UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day throughout the season. A Liberty Shield VPN can get you around the block and keep your data safe. So go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. There's a hardware package, a router that you plug into your normal broadband router. And when you connect devices to it, you'll have a completely different VPN depending on the region you set it to. You can still connect to your normal router and have your normal IP address. So. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Just a reminder, do check out the other podcasts that we have from EPL Index, there's the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries. It's out generally every Sunday night or Monday morning. Him and some guests having a discussion about the weekend's games. And make sure you're checking out Tadiwa's podcast, A Tad Predictable. It's on this feed, so you don't have to look for it very hard. This week, he is recording Wednesday, so should be out Thursday and he is going to be joined by Riley Finch, who is a young up-and-coming sports journalist. Do check that one out when it appears. But if you want to go back and listen to some old ones, he had Jake Jackman on last week. It's a really good listen. It's a tad predictable. Right, folks. What a weekend in the Premier League. Magnificent. Chaos. Lunacy. Good football, bad football, really bad football. Let's get straight in. Aston Villa 2, Everton 1. I would class this largely as bad football. Now, Danny Ings opens the scoring on 31 minutes. It's a really good finish. It is horrendous defending by Everton. They get done in midfield, simple turnover, John McGinn plays a long ball out to the left. Sorry, out to the right. Ollie Watkins runs onto it. Yards and yards of space. Nobody close to him. He squares the ball into the box. Ings takes a horrific first touch. Like as bad a first touch as you can imagine. Connor Cody doesn't get anywhere close to him. 
Abdullah Dukure coming back just needs to clean it all out. Seems scared to give away a penalty. He makes a mess of things. Ings gets the ball under control and rifles a left-footed shot past the keeper from about 15 yards. Really good finish, but the first touch was awful and the defending was catastrophic. On 86 minutes, it's 2-0. Amadou Onana gets caught in the ball. Villa break and Villa punish him. Really good move. Really swift attacking play. And a really good counter-attacking goal. One minute later, Onana makes up for costing his team a goal. Drives into the Everton box. Beats his man. Gets the ball across the goal and Luca Dina trying to clear it, gets his feet caught in a mess and puts it into his own net. 2-1 to Villa. Gerard beats Lampard. Better player, better manager. It is what it is. Uh, but this win came at a cost for Aston Villa. Diego Carlos suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon. Now that is going to be career-altering regardless. He will never be the same defender again. And unfortunately for him, that is the type of injury that can have big effects on your explosiveness, your speed, things he kind of relies on. So I'm really curious to see what Villa do from here. The obvious thing is just bring Ezra Konza back in. The issue is they're still going to have to play Mings. Now, Mings was okay at the weekend. He was... 7 out of 10, maybe. But it's Tyron Mings. Villa's biggest need going into the summer was... Well, the biggest need was a defensive midfield. The second biggest need was to replace Tyron Mings. And now it looks like they're back to square one, back to the same centre-back group, the centre-back options they had last season. And that's just not ideal. Just not ideal at all. So... I'll be curious to see, do Villa dip back into the market for another centre-back in this transfer window? Everton also had some injury issues. Abdullahi Dukure went off. And the early suggestion is he could be out for as long as six weeks. We'll wait and see what that situation works out as. But anytime he gets hurt, it does tend to be you know, a month, a bit longer. It's unfortunate for Villa, for, for Everton rather. He's their best midfield player. Yerry Mina is their best defender and both of them are prone to muscular injuries. So a double blow here for Everton. Off to a bad start, two defeats from two and they've lost three important players to injury. Now, the plus for them is Onana did largely look very good when he came on, caused Villa problems. Villa won the game, but it's very hard to be impressed by them. They played some nice football at times, and they looked very aimless at times. They did look a better team when Emi Buendia came on, it must be said. But you'd be a little bit concerned if you were a Villa fan, even with the win. It wasn't exactly um it wasn't exactly comprehensive. And that was against a team with no striker. Southampton two leads to 
Rodrigo Moreno must have heard me complaining about him last week. He scored two goals, two very simple tap-in finishes, but two decent finishes all the same, to put Leeds 2-0 up on the 60th minute. Joe Rebo scored one to drag Southampton back into the game on 72. Almost made a mess of it. Seemed intent on just getting it in exactly the right position when he should have shot much earlier. But beat his man, beat the keeper, got his shot away, scored the goal. 72 minutes in, it's 2-1 to Leeds. And then Kyle Walker-Peters makes it 2-2 with a really, really nice goal. Lovely play by Sekou Mara, who'd come on as a sub. Brilliant slide rule pass in behind the last defender. Walker-Peters, who had not stopped running all day, gets on the end of it and finishes really well. Gives Melier no chance. 2-2 was a fair reflection in this game, in my view. Both keepers made good saves. Both sides were well up for it. There was a lot of good football played. There was some bad football played as well. But in the heat, it's a little bit understandable. I thought Bella Kotchup stood out, especially when he decided to pick the ball up and just drive forward with it from that right-sided centre-back role. I was encouraged to see that back three from Southampton, Bella Kotchup, Bednarak and Salisu. Uh, I thought Gineppo looked better as a wing-back this week than he did last week. Uh, Walker-Peters played well. Lavia played pretty well uh, up against Roca and, and Adams. I thought the midfield battle was quite good. I thought overall this was a good game. The only player that kind of disappointed me a little bit from Southampton's point of view was El Yanassi. Just, they just didn't seem to find ways to get him involved regularly enough to get him into space where he could use his, his burning pace. But aside from that, I thought Saints played quite well. The big blow here for Leeds is Patrick Bamford going off injured early in the first half um, after what happened last season. That's got to be a big concern. I think they're going to have to dip into the market again. I just don't see how they can move forward without a striker. It should have been one of the priorities for the season to bring in a backup to him. Now, they could use Joel Gellhart there, I know. They could use Sam Greenwood, I know, but they're kids. You'd like to see them go and get someone with a bit of a proven track record of putting the ball in the back of the net. Someone that can maybe do 70% of what Bamford can do in terms of all-round play and mirror his goal numbers. I think that's got to be the play for Leeds moving forward. Good point for both teams. I think it's fair to say. I think Southampton needed to get a point after what happened last weekend. Um... Guy says a kid, but they were linked with that young Italian striker, Notto. Yeah, I mean, again, he's a good player, but he's more of a a wide forward than a nine. Like, I wouldn't be playing him through the middle. I think he's more a wide forward than a nine. Uh, 10 goals in 35 games last season for, Zur- for Zurich. He is already an Italian international. He's very, very talented. But I'm just not sure he's the one that's ready to come in now. That's why De Ketelier made so much sense. He can be a nine and you can play him with Bamford as a 10 or wide. They've got to address that position. They really do. Um, Arsenal four, Leicester two. If you want uh, a how to not defend in the Premier League video, just go and watch Leicester City. Absolutely shambolic defending. Now, credit to Arsenal. Arsenal played well. Gabriel Jesus opened the scoring with a 
tremendous goal on 23 minutes, clipped in from the angle, gave the keeper no chance. Really, really impressive stuff. Uh, he doubled the lead on 35 minutes. It's an Arsenal set piece. Vardy is the first man and for some reason jumps and flicks the ball on. And it was going in. Jesus just added the final touch. It would have gone in without his interference. Uh, Leicester just always poor at set pieces. I'm not sure why five foot nine Jamie Vardy is the first man, but it is what it is. Uh, Leicester fought their way back into the game. 53 minutes in, William Saliba puts through his own net. Ball over the top, Vardy's on to it. Saliba gets in front of him, tries to head it back to Ramsdale. Ramsdale isn't expecting it or whatever, and into the net it rolls. Disappointing, but if if Saliba doesn't get a touch to it, Vardy gets round him and scores. Simple as that. Um, should point out, Leicester had been given a penalty, which was then reversed on review by VAR uh, after Vardy collided with Ramsdale, but Vardy was already going down, and I think the, the decision to reverse it was the right decision. Uh, two minutes after the own goal, Granite Xhaka restores the two-goal lead. This is an abomination from Danny Ward, an absolute catastrophe. Comes out, claims a simple ball, doesn't want to run into his own centre-back, so tries to palm the ball with one hand and just drops it. It hits Gabriel Jesus, who knows very little about it, and rolls across to Granit Xhaka, who taps it home to make it 3-1. Leicester fight back again. James Madison gets in on the right-hand side and beats Ramsdale through his legs. Poor goalkeeping, but a decent finish. But then Leicester just do Leicester things, and Arsenal go immediately down the other end of the field, and a minute later, it's 4-2. Jesus picks the ball up, beats nobody, passes the ball to Gabriel Martinelli on the edge of the box. Well, 25 yards out, Martinelli takes one touch to get it out of his feet and then hits a fairly, I mean, tame wouldn't be the right word, but it wasn't exactly a rasper. It was a bit of a daisy cutter and Danny Ward just can't get across to it. It's again, I think, poor goalkeeping. It's a decent strike. But I think it's fairly poor goalkeeping. It's not like the ball was absolutely arrowed into that bottom corner. Arsenal were the better team. Arsenal absolutely deserved all three points. But my God, Leicester don't help themselves. Danny Ward is not good enough to start in the Premier League. A back three of Fafana, Evans and Amarty is not good enough to start in the Premier League. The rest is fine. Castanier and Justin as wing-backs, Tielemans and Didi and Dewsbury Hall in the middle, Madison behind Vardy. It's very, I think I said this last week, it's Simone and Zage at, um, at Lazio. This is the, the setup he regularly went with at Lazio, a 3-5-1-1. Try and dominate the middle of the field. But this didn't work at all. Um... In other Arsenal news, Granit Xhaka and Gabriel Jesus have been named as vice-captains. There's no leadership in that team at all. I saw Arsenal fans say, oh, we could replace Xhaka with a better player, but what about his leadership? If if that, if what he brings is what you think leadership is, there is no leadership in your team at all. However, you've two wins from two, and you should be happy with them. We'll move on. Brighton nil, 
Newcastle nil. Genuinely no idea how this game ended nil nil. Brighton should have scored a couple of goals. Newcastle could easily have gotten one themselves. Uh, Nick Pope was excellent. Excellent here. Made at least two outrageous saves. There were two others cleared off the line. One by Trippier, one by Shar. Gross missed, uh, missed a sitter, hit the post. I mean, it was one-way traffic. Brighton should have won this game. Newcastle weren't awful. I saw some statements after the game that they were awful. I didn't think that was the case at all. I thought they played okay. Um, the midfield got a little bit swamped because Gross and Lalana um, were dropping back in with McAllister and Casado to make four against Newcastle's three. But it, it was really telling that um, Brighton just had some empty shirts on the pitch. Even with the numerical advantage in that middle of the park, they weren't making the most of it. They were getting the ball, but then not really doing what you'd want them to do. Lalana missed a complete sitter with a header from about four yards that he really should have scored. Um, I was overall impressed by Brighton. I thought the, the kid that came on, uh, Matino, Matomo, um, the Japanese player, he looked really good. Came on left wing back, but played as a left winger. Absolutely roasted Kieran Trippier a couple of times and played some lovely passes. Really did look like a live wire. Not really sure why Dennis Undav wasn't brought on. We were told that one of the reasons Brighton might not sign a striker is that they've got Dennis Undav. And as they cry out for a goal, they don't bring him on. They leave Danny Welbeck on for 90 minutes. Little bit strange from Graham Potter, who I think could have done more to help his team get the three points. But look, Newcastle are going to be happy. Four points after two games. They have made a much better start, obviously, than last season. So they'll be thrilled. Brighton, again, four points after two games. They're going to be happy. They would have liked to have had six. They deserve to have six, but it is what it is. If you don't take your chances, you won't get your points. Uh, moving on then. Manchester City 4, Bournemouth 0. Um, the tale of this game is that Erling Haaland was awful and City still scored 4 and won at a counter. So Gundogan made it 1-0 on 19 minutes. Uh, from an Erling Haaland assist, I should point out. Haaland had gotten the ball, failed to really get it under control, but was physical enough to hold off defenders, managed to scoop or flick the ball through to Gundogan, who'd run through the Bournemouth defence as if it wasn't really there, and score. Uh, 31 minutes, Kevin De Bruyne picks up a pass from Phil Foden, drives at the Bournemouth defence, which again is a little bit all over the place, and finishes with the outside of the right foot into the far corner, giving Mark Travers no real chance. And then on 37 minutes, Phil Foden made a three. City looked rampant. Haaland looked a little bit lost, but City were rampant. Mares and Foden wide, Gundogan and De Bruyne charging forward from midfield, Canseo and Walker getting forward as well, Rodri holding things together. City looked really good. At halftime, Pep brought on Jack Grealish for Phil Foden. I assume Foden had a knock. And City just became far less of a threat. Now, Grealish was involved in their fourth goal, he overhit a pass to Canseo, who did well to keep it in play, worked it back, worked it again, 
and then fired across a low ball that Jefferson Lerma just deflected into his own net. Couldn't really do anything about. Uh, the second half was a bit boring. But the first half, I thought City were scary again. Even with Haaland playing so badly, he completed two passes. Two passes in his time on the pitch. And City still scored four goals and looked like they could have gone up multiple other gears. Uh, Pep was able to make all five subs, give people runouts, including young Rico Lewis, which was good to see. Uh, it remains to be seen if this is the last time we will see Bernardo Silva in a Man City shirt. There's obviously a lot of rumours going around that he could well be going to Barcelona. I think City will be very foolish to sell him. I think he's an outstanding player. But what we know is they have Gundogan, who's who's a world-class player. Like, let's be fair. He's a world-class player. He was the best player on a title-winning team in the 2021 season. He was robbed of football of the year. Ruben Diaz getting it over him was farcical. Um, it should have been Gundogan and Harry Kane, I thought, getting the two awards. I think instead it was Diaz and De Bruyne, maybe? But either way, Gundogan was their best player that season. And uh, he's proven he's a, a top, top player. And when he's scoring goals, it's problematic for the rest of the league because if he's getting them, everyone else is going to be getting them as well because he's so smart and he makes everybody better. And when he's in that form, he just elevates City. I think City are actually a better team when he's in the team than Gundogan, even though I think, or when he's in the team than Bernardo, even though I think Bernardo, as an individual player, is a better player than him. But yeah, they will they can bring Gundogan in and then they can go and buy. They might buy Matias Nunez from Sporting in Portugal. If they do that, then they've got double pivot options of Rodri, Gundogan, Calvin Phillips and Matias Nunez. That signifies a change for Pep. That signifies a move to a more pace and power-based team when you factor in who they've got up front. And you look at recent signings. Rodri, a big physical presence in midfield. Ruben Diaz, a big physical presence at the back. These aren't players that deal in, you know, the subtle art of football, the way Pep likes his players. These are blood and thunder players. Now they can play absolutely. Diaz a decent pass ball. Rodri's Rodri's outstanding in the ball, but the physical side of it, these lads thrive. And I do wonder if that's what Pep is looking for—a more physical team for those Champions League games. So maybe that would be where City might be okay letting Bernardo go if they get their price, and then going out and buying someone like Matias Nunez to bring in more physicality. If they're going to do this, if they get 60, 70 million for Bernardo and they spend 40 on Nunez, they should also probably go and try and find a really pacey winger, like a bit of a field stretcher, what what Sané used to be for them. Ideally, someone to play on the right instead of Mares, or, you know, as a backup to Mares, but who can just give them a different option and a different look. Um, moving on then, Wolves nil, Fulham nil, uh, strange game, bit of a boring game, best chance of the game was a penalty for Fulham, uh, Mitrovic stepped up and Jose Sa saved it quite comfortably as two penalties given to Fulham in their first two weeks in the division, which must be nice, 
Uh, not not every club gets two penalties in a full season. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about the game. It wasn't a particularly good game to watch. I thought there were moments where Wolves looked like a real force going forward with Gibbs White, Pedence, and Neto. Um, Huang played up front to the middle. It's not a rule that really suits him. I, I really want to see Neto right. Guedes left and Morgan gives White as the 10 with Neves and then Donker behind plus that back four and Semedo if he comes back in. The problem there is who's your striker? I mean, Huang isn't really a nine and the only other option really at the club is Jimenez who's injured. Could you play a Dama as a nine and hope for the best? Maybe? I don't know. But yeah, Wolves Wolves are a good team and they play really good football. And I really like that left side of Aitnuri and Neto. But I'd like to see it be Aitnuri and Guedes and then Semedo and Neto on the other side. I think that might be a better balance. Fulham, look, you can't fault the effort. They ran themselves into the ground again. They gave as good as they got. They had more shots, more shots on target. And... Um, They'll be delighted with two points from two games, or they should be anyway. We're going to save the next game as a little bit of a treat towards for, for the end. Uh, so we'll jump straight to Saturday, Sunday. Nottingham Forest won West Ham nil. The city ground hosting Premier League football for the first time in 23 years. Absolutely bouncing. And I thought that this was a really good game. I thought this was a really good game, really even... Now, I will say, I thought West Ham deserved at least a point. They hit the bar twice. Dean Henderson made a handful of really good saves. Declan Rice missed a penalty. They had a goal disallowed. I will say, I agreed with the decision to disallow the goal. Uh, I'm not sure if Dale Johnson's done his thread on Twitter yet on the VAR decisions. But for me, Antonio runs at... Mangala and blocks him off from challenging Declan Rice. I think he's trying to get round Antonio and Antonio steps into him. That's my interpretation of it. I understand West Ham fans don't agree, but for me, I agreed with the, the goal being disallowed. Shortly after the goal was disallowed, Teowani opens the scoring for Forrest, opens his account for Forrest. Forrest's first goal in the Premier League since Chris Bart Williams scored in a final day victory 23 and a, 23 and a half years ago. Um, it's the scruffiest goal you'll ever see. It literally bobbles off his shin. He doesn't really know much about it. It finds its way into the net. He won't care. He shouldn't care. It's a great moment for him. It's a great moment for those Forest fans. It was good to see the manager make the decision to start more of his summer signings. Henderson started in goal, obviously, like he did last week. Worrell, Niakata and McKenna were the back three. A little bit of a concern, Niakata went off with a knock, so just keep an eye on that. Uh, Nico Williams played very well at right wing back, had a goal line clearance as well that should be mentioned. Um, he played Mangala and Lewis O'Brien in midfield. I thought that was good. Played Tofolo at left back. I thought he looked much more comfortable this week than he did last week. And then Lingard behind Brennan Johnson and Awaniye. Um, Off the bench, he brought Steve Cook, Sam Surge and Cafu. Over the weekend, 
what we saw was Nottingham Forest announce not one, not two, but three new signings. And I have to say, I love all three of them for different reasons. So the first one is Emmanuel Dennis. I think it's a brilliant signing. I thought he was outstanding in a terrible Watford team last season. He scores goals. He makes goals. He's got versatility. He's hardworking. He's a really good player. They've bought him for 20 million. I think it's a good price. I really do think it's a good price. And I'll explain more about why it's a good price in a, in a few minutes, probably after the break. Then they announce Checo Coyate, formerly of Crystal Palace. He was meant to go to the Middle East. That kind of fell through. He became a free agent and Palace have snapped him up. And it's a clever, clever signing because he can be covering midfield and in defence. You can comfortably put him into a back three. He played centre-back in a four at Palace and looked fairly decent. He was competent there. In a three, he'll be absolutely fine. So it's a very clever signing. And then they signed Remo Freuler from Atalanta, who's a really, really good player. Like one of the most important players that Atalanta have had in the past few years. Absolutely vital to the success that that club has had. So I think all three of these make a lot of sense. Now, they're not finished either. They're still looking to bring in more players. Uh, one of the names mentioned is Neil Mopay. Suggestions that deal could get done for around 15 million. Another name mentioned is Jose Marar from Lyon. An attacking midfielder, creative player, really talented, but at the same time, one who... One whose value has definitely dropped. One whose profile has definitely lagged behind where it should have been. One whose development definitely stagnated over the last couple of years. Now, here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people mock Forrest's recruitment. Compare it to Leeds and Villa and Fulham. Talk about a scattergun approach. But I don't think it's that at all. Look at their midfield options. So I put together a thread on social media last night. I'm going to read it out to you just because it'll save you going and looking at it. This was after Froiler had been announced. So Froiler, Mangala, O'Brien, Yates and Koyate. Forrest have really good midfield options now. People might scoff, but their recruitment has been really pointed and really clever. The reason they're signing so many players is because they have to. 17 players left the club during the summer, including six starters, five of whom they'd had on loan last season. So if you don't believe me on the 17, let me just read out the names to you. Because it's a little bit eye-opening how many players have left the club. Rezart Rama, Jaden Richardson, Gaetan Bong, Baba Fernandez, 
Tobias Figueredo, Lewis Graben, Carl Jenkinson, Marcelo Saravaya, Bryce Samba, Nicholas Iono, Zande Silva, Nuno da Costa, and Joe Lolly. Oh, Joe Lolly left the club. I didn't actually, I missed that. I missed Joe Lolly leaving the club. Um, that's actually more than 70. That plus the loan players. Spence, Garner, Max Lowe, Keenan Davis, and Zinkernagel. All five of whom were starters, as was Bryce Samba. Now, the rest of them are largely squad players. But they're still squad players. They're still important. Some of them were under 23 players that left as well. In total, Forrest last season had... Let me... Oh, where am I? Excuse me. This is terrible radio. Uh, Forrest last season had six players in on loan. I'll say Tutu didn't make the grade and went back to Arsenal in the January. Okay, so six. So there was five of them left at the end of the season, and those five went back to their clubs. Ten, fifteen, twenty. Twenty-two players in total who were under contract. Now that does include some under-23 players. But all told, it was 15 quote-unquote first-team players that left the club. So they needed, needed to go about their business like this. They also loaned out a ton of players. Bunch of younger first-team players and kind of back-end-of-the-bench players and squad players and whatever. Uh, 11 players out on loan, all told. They needed to go out and recruit heavily. Had to. So let's go back to front and look at the recruitment. So last season, they had Bryce Samba and Ethan Horvath. They were the two goalkeepers. Bryce Samba is not very good. I don't know much about Horvath. What I do know is that Wayne Hennessy, Wayne Hennessy is a better backup goalkeeper in the Premier League than Ethan Horvath because he's been doing it for years. Dean Henderson is an enormous upgrade on Bryce Samba. So they've upgraded both their goalkeeping spots and they've made no real long-term commitment here. I think Hennessy's a two-year deal. He won't be on big wages. Henderson's alone. If they go down... Fine, he goes back to Manchester United. They're not saddled under his contract. They haven't spent any real money here, but they've brought in money from the sale of Bryce Samba. So they've upgraded their goalkeeping situation and made a profit. In defence, they bring in Niakate, 10 million-ish, not on huge wages, noted as a leader at Mines, a high character individual very talented footballer better than Steve Cook significantly so they bring him in so they've upgraded their back three that pushes Cook into a backup role where he's better than who was there last year then they bring in Bianconi 
a quality young player they can develop, not on big wages. Someone that if they go down, he could go down with them and be part of the long-term fabric of the club. Now they bring in Czech Koyate. Minimal signing fee. Wages won't be prohibitive. There'll absolutely be a relegation release clause. This is a guy who knows what it's like to be in Premier League relegation battles. So they've upgraded their defence and they haven't spent a ton of money doing it. They've sold off a couple of defenders. They've released a few others. All things considered, they've upgraded the defence and not spent huge money and not committed big wages anywhere. But again, you look at that midfield then next. Upgrades across the board. Froiler, Mangala, O'Brien, they're all upgrades. They're all better than James Garner is at this point. None of the contracts are big. Froilers will be the biggest. He will easily be sold if they go down. Easily. You'll get your money back on him. Mangala will be on manageable wages. He won't have huge expectations of being too good to play in the championship unless he really kicks on this season and sort of elevates his game to a new level. But they've upgraded the midfield. They've spent a bit of money. They've spent a bit of money here. Probably, I think it was 10 on Freuler, 12-ish on Mangala, and I think about 7 on O'Brien. So about 30 million for massive upgrades in midfield. And the contracts won't be enormous. Like I said, Freuler's will be the biggest. And he's probably only on about I don't know, 80 grand a week. He won't be on ridiculous money. So it's an improvement. And again, you're not spending massive money. Now we go to the wing backs. Max Lowe was a good player, but he was injured a lot last season. And Callback had to play there. So they go out and they bring in Omar Richards, who's far better than both, and Harry Tofolo, who's definitely better than Callback. I'm not sure he's better than Lowe. But he's about a similar enough level. Now, Richards is injured, so they may well have to go and try and find someone to come in short term on a loan or whatever. But they haven't spent big money there. I think it's, again, five million on Tofolo and seven or eight million on Omar Richards. So not massive spending, but improving a position and ensuring quality depth. Right wing back, they lose Jed Spence. I think they overpaid for Nico Williams. He's not as good as Spence, but he's a good player. He is a good player. He has plenty of potential. He will learn a lot under Steve Cooper, and he's really well suited as a wingback. So while it is a big expense, remember, the wages won't be huge. He's probably only on 40 grand. Now, only on 40 grand, but he's probably on about 40 grand a week. It's not prohibitive. And remember as well, Forrest have been smart here. Forrest will have relegation release clauses and relegation wage clauses in all of these contracts. So each of these players, if Forrest go down, will have agreed to lower their wages. And there will be set clauses in those contracts for those players to leave at certain prices. But again, with Nico Williams, like with Omar Richards, like with Mangala, and I think even with Niakate, I think if they went down, they could bring all of them with them. They could go down, lose Froiler, Henderson, and Jesse Lingard. 
and maybe Emmanuel Dennis, and then still look to bounce straight back up. They still have a really strong squad. They bring in Lingard to replace Sinkernagel. Now, I'm not a fan. Everybody knows I'm not a fan, but he's a good fit. He's a good fit. He presses well. He links the midfield and attack. He's great in transition, and he can score you goals. Big contracts, 150 grand a week or something in that kind of region. They'll have given him a sizable enough signing bonus, but it's a one-year contract. There's no risk involved for Forrest. If they go down, fine, he's off the books. Now, if they bring in Hossi Mauer as depth for him, then they've got two options, both of whom looking to get themselves back into the international picture, both of whom will be driven, both of whom will be motivated to put forward their best performances. So our makes sense for them, makes a ton of sense for them, along with Lingard. And they're very different players, so you can play them in different games. You can play in a game where you need more creativity, where you're going to have more of the ball, you play our. In a game where you're going to be sitting back, trying to counterattack, then you play Lingard. I think it's a really clever way to do things. And up front, I love the additions. Awani showed how good he is last season in the Bundesliga. And I think they paid a fair price for him. They had Keenan Davis on loan last season, was an important player for them. Awani replaces him and is an upgrade. And then they bring in Dennis, and that's just a really good signing. A really good signing. So you've got those two, Brennan Johnson and Sam Surridge. And potentially Neil Mopay. So five good attackers. They've kept Callback, they've kept Cafu, they've kept Cook. You've got those important leaders on the dressing on, on, in the dressing room on the training ground. I think if they get our and Mopay across the line and can find one more player, a backup for Nico Williams. Now, you might have to go the loan route to, to find that player, but if they can do that, they're covered across the board. They've got two players in every position that you'd be comfortable playing in a Premier League game. How many newly promoted sides can say that? Like, you've all heard me say about teams like Leeds, and Fulham and other newly promoted teams, Norwich last season, far too many championship level players in the team. Watford, another example. You look at Leeds, Ailing, Championship, Cooper, Championship, Dallas, Championship. They're championship level players. They're not Premier League players. You look at Forrest, Henderson, Premier League player, Worrell, Premier League player, McKenna, Premier League player, Nikate, Premier League player. Omar Richards, Premier League player. Nico Williams should be Premier League player. Right now, you could probably say he's a championship player, but he's still young. He's 21, 22, unlike 30-year-old Luke Ayling. So he's got room to grow into a Premier League player. Same goes for Lewis O'Brien. He's only really proven at the championship level, but he's looked pretty good in the Premier League so far. Mangala, Premier League player. Froiler, Premier League player. Yates Championship, but definitely the talent to become a Premier League caliber player. Lingard, Premier League player. Our Premier League player. All of those attackers. 
Premier League caliber. Surge and Johnson have to prove it. The other two are more than good enough. They're not playing pure championship level players. The only one I would suggest in the squad is maybe Steve Cook. Sorry, and Jack Callback. Steve Cook and Callback. They're the two I'd look at and say, yeah, they're they're championship level players. But how often are they really going to play across the course of the season? I mean, start. How often are they going to start? Callback got his start last weekend. Didn't look good. I'd have a tough time seeing him start another Premier League game this season. Unless there's an injury crisis, I think they're going to be too deep for him to get game time. I'd be surprised if he's making the bench when everybody's fit. And what they've done here by bringing in this many players, by basically replenishing the entire squad, is they've protected themselves against injuries. They've protected themselves against the possible COVID outbreak because they've got strength and depth. And not just strength, they've got decent quality in depth. Acceptable Premier League calibre players in depth. Some need to prove they're good enough. But again, they're 23, 24, 25, even some a bit younger. So they've got years ahead of them. They're not in their primes yet. Those Leeds players were smack in the middle of their primes. They had established what they were in the game, which was championship level players. Same thing went for some of the lads at Villa, some of the lads at Fulham, some of the lads at Watford and Norwich. They were just championship level players. These Forest players have a chance to be more. Also worth noting, Steve Cooper. Steve Cooper is outstanding at what he does. Outstanding at what he does. And what he does is he puts squads together really quickly, gets the best team out of that squad, and then gets them playing the way he wants. This guy was incredibly successful with the England underage teams. He was outstanding. And that is a situation where you're not always managing the same group of players. The squad changes from selection to selection with injuries with players moving up in age groups players falling out of form whatever it is he won the under 17 world cup he was runner up in the under 17 european championships steve cooper is really good at what he does when it comes to putting these teams together um he was also involved in that under 19 team that won he went to swansea he built two teams on the fly there and made the playoffs both years Swansea finished 10th before he got there. They finished 15th last year after he left. Steve Cooper made an enormous difference there and put together teams on the fly with low knees and got success from them. Last season, he took over a squad that wasn't his, a squad that he had no hand in shaping. And from when he took over, with seven or eight games gone, they were nailed to the bottom of the league. They were the best team in the league right along with uh, Fulham, who walked away with the title. So they matched them stride for stride across Steve Cooper's time in charge. That shows how impressive he is at building on the fly. I mean, the only players they brought in in the January, they brought in Keenan Davis, uh, Steve Cook, Sam Surridge. So brought in three players that played a big role. And he put them into a team that he already had flying, tweaked it, and got even better out of them. 
absolutely outstanding. This Forest team should not be laughed at. This recruitment approach should not be mocked because it's really clever and it's measured and it all has a purpose. Moving on then from that tangent to this tangent. Chelsea versus Tottenham is the best rivalry in the Premier League today. Full stop. End of story. Liverpool versus City is a bigger game with better teams. But there's no real rivalry there. Not between the players, not between the managers. It's a competition. There's no dislike. There's no needle. This, though, this, this has dislike. This has needle. This has, has players that don't like each other. This has managers that don't like each other. And this has controversial moments galore. Chelsea go one up through Kaladu Koulibaly on 19 minutes. If it wasn't stitched on, Antonio Conte would have pulled his toupee off and jumped up and down on top of it. The defending was an abomination. Uh, Cucurella's corner, Koulibaly completely unmarked. Great volley finish, but how is he completely unmarked in the penalty area? On 68 minutes, Pierre-Emile Heusberg equalised. Now, controversy over this goal... I don't think the controversy is real, though, because Kai Havertz has the ball, gets tackled by Benton Kerr, who wins the ball. Havertz goes down. There's about 40 seconds between that tackle and the ball hitting the back of the net. So even if it was a foul, which, again, I don't think it was, it's too many phases later to really run it back to that. Now, there is then the question of Richarlison who is standing in an offside position as Heusberg strikes the ball, but doesn't appear to be interfering with play. So I think this goal is perfectly fine. I don't think it should have been ruled out. Reese James makes it 2-1 on 77. Great, great work from Raheem Sterling. Sets up James. He just puts his foot through it. And Hugo Lloris does a really kind thing and just gets out of the way, which is really nice to see. Uh, just jumps out of the way for no reason. Uh, not like he's the goalkeeper or anything like that. Chelsea deserved to win this game. Chelsea were the better team on the day. But in the 96th minute, Cross comes in. Harry Kane gets ahead to it. It hits Reese James and it goes into the back of the net. And it is 2-2. And that is game over. Now, there was controversy surrounding this goal as well because of an incident with Christian Romero and Mark Cucurella where Romero grabs him by the hair and holds him to the ground, which is obviously not within the rules of the game. But the referee and the VAR decided not to review it or, not, or, or did review it and found it wasn't worthy of punishment. Chelsea fans are up in arms with this, and I think they're right to be on this one. Chelsea were the better team, but Spurs, to be fair to them, showed a real fight. And I think both sides, when the smoke settles, no, when the dust settles and the smoke is cleared, uh, I think both sides should be happy enough with a point because it's not a bad result for either. 
like I say, Chelsea should have won the game. They were the better team. But Spurs, Spurs earned their points. The second goal, I definitely think, probably should have been ruled out. There was feistiness. There was some snapping challenges through the game. There was definitely an intensity that's lacking in a lot of Premier League games. And there was some wonderful moments between the managers. When Heusberg scored, Conte went and celebrated right in Thomas Tuchel's face. So that sparked the first kickoff between them. Then when James scored, Tuchel went flying down the touchline to celebrate. Conte didn't seem to notice what he was doing uh, because he put up a picture on Instagram of Tuchel running past him, him looking down at the ground and the caption, it's a good thing I would have seen, I didn't see you or I would have tripped you. Um, So... He's, now he did put some smiling emojis, so, you know. Uh, but at the final whistle, the managers approach, they go for a handshake. Tuchel doesn't let it go. Conte is outraged by this besmirchment of his hand. And the, the two of them flare up again. Both of them end up getting red cards, which is just great. And uh, there was a big coming together of a bunch of players. A lot of handbags, a lot of Nark, but it was great to see. It was really good to see. The game needs this. I, I know it, it's not for everybody, but look, the Premier League has always had a great rivalry until the last maybe decade. Like, you go back to the early days, it was Ferguson and Dogleash. Ferguson at United, Dogleash at Blackburn bickering back and forth. Now, these two men are very good friends, very good friends, but huge competitors and could fall out with each other over competition. But there's great stories about the relationship between them. I'd love someone to write a book focusing on the relationship of Ferguson and Dog Leash as men and as managers because there's some great little anecdotes that you hear. There's some heartwarming stories about Ferguson ringing Dogleash frequently in the days after Hillsborough to check in, see how he's doing, offer any help and assistance he can, things like that. Then you hear stories about Ferguson's been interviewed uh, after a game between Liverpool and um, and United. Dogleash is walking by holding one of his kids in his arms and says, I don't know what you're talking to him for. You get more sense out of the wee one. And just a, you know, a little bit of banter. There's there's a friendship there, but the 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 narc got real for a little while when, when they were going head to head with Blackburn and with United. Then from there it was Ferguson and it was Keegan. And that was great for a couple of years. And obviously Keegan had his meltdown, but they'd go back and forth and it was all very good. Then it was Ferguson and Wenger. Then it was Arsenal and United. It was magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. From about 97, 98 up until probably, I would say about 06, that rivalry was just incredible. Then Arsenal started to tail off and they sort of stopped being an elite team. Now, the biggest reason they stopped being an elite team was the arrival of Roman Abramovich and the 
birth of their second big rivalry, which overlapped with the United rivalry, which was Wenger versus Mourinho, Arsenal versus Chelsea. And that was, there was real dislike there. With Ferguson and Wenger, you could tell there was begrudging respect. With Wenger and Mourinho, there was no respect. Mourinho had no respect for reputations. Wenger had no respect for what he, I think, viewed as a loudmouth moron. Then you got Ferguson Benitez. That was a good rivalry for a couple of years. And then it all sort of fell away. And there hasn't really been what you'd look at as a great rivalry. Like, Klopp versus Pep since 1819 is is the main one. Pep versus Mourinho for the time that Mourinho was at United and Pep was at City. It was a two years, two and a half years. That was great crack because they don't like each other at all. So they bicker. And the, but Mourinho would always, in his roundabout way, he would give credit to Pep. And Pep would do similar. Then Mourinho went to Spurs and he just wasn't relevant enough to, to have a big rivalry with City. But the Klopp and Pep thing, they're too friendly. They're too friendly for it to go into the, you know, the pantheon with 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 Wenger versus Ferguson and Wenger versus Mourinho and Ferguson versus Dalglish and Ferguson versus Keegan, even Ferguson Benitez. They, it just doesn't sit. Benitez versus Mourinho was another one. Mourinho came in and wanted fights with everybody. Mourinho was Conor McGregor. He just wanted to start a row with everybody. Now he never really got too deep with Ferguson because he he respected Ferguson because you couldn't not respect Ferguson especially by that point but Mourinho was Mourinho was box office when he arrived I mean it was just it was pandemonium he had something to say about absolutely everybody it was grateful but it's 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 really good to see a rivalry like Conte versus Tuchel Chelsea versus Tottenham. I think they're clearly the third and fourth best team in the league. You can pick whichever one you want. I I, I think there's a, a gulf to Arsenal, being honest. And I think the biggest gulf between them, like on the pitch, I think the gulf is sizable enough. Off the pitch, the gulf is enormous. I mean, Tuchel and Conte versus Arteta. You, you've got to be joking me, like. Um, Right, let's, let's finish up then. On the last game of the weekend, which wasn't the last game, it was the third last game, but I've left it to the last because, my God, the fun. The fun of this. Brentford 4, Manchester United 0. Again, for those in the back... <clears throat> is this thing on? Brentford 4, Manchester United 0. So United lined up. With De Gea in goal, Delow, Maguire, Martinez and Shaw as a back four. Problems everywhere. Eriksen and Fred as a double pivot. More problems. Sancho, Fernandez, and Rashford behind the striker. You'd look at that, you think. That's not bad, but there's nothing behind them to support that. And then Cristiano Ronaldo started up front. And for nine minutes... It didn't look too bad. 
And then it all came crashing down. Josh De Silva hit a very meek shot from the edge of the box. And God only knows how David De Gea managed to allow that through his hands. But through his hands it went, and it was 1-0. Eight minutes later, De Gea, under instruction from his manager, by the way, plays a short pass to Christian Eriksen without checking to see if Eriksen's under pressure. Eriksen was under pressure, got pressed. Brentford took the ball off him, and Matthias Jensen made it 2-0. 12 minutes later, corner into the box. Ivan Tony runs to the back post. Free header, heads it across the area. And Ben Mee, who's falling over, manages to put it in the back of the net. And then five minutes after that, United, who've just decided to throw caution to the wind, committed a bunch of men forward. Ivan Tony's all alone on the left wing. Balls played to him. He plays an outstanding first-time ball to Brian Mbomo, who runs clean through, one-on-one with De Gea, and finishes, and it's 4-0. 4-0. So, at halftime, you're looking at this, and you're thinking, this United team are a catastrophe. He needs to make changes, and he does. However, the changes don't change anything. He brings on Varane for Martinez, leaves Maguire on the pitch, who's absolutely rancid at this point. He brings off Luke Shaw, who's defending poorly, brings on Tyrell Malashia, who can't defend at all, and then he brings off Fred and replaces him with Scott McTallotmus. Now, McTominay played against Brighton and stank not just not just Old Trafford, not just Manchester, not just the northeast of England. He stank the entire north of England out of it. If you went past, and I'm I'm talking how Southerners see the north. So if you went past Watford Gap last weekend and got a waft, that was Scott McTominay's performance. You didn't even need to be in Birmingham. You got that anywhere north of Watford Gap. They were stinking the place out. It was ridiculous. You wouldn't... I won't even say what I was going to say. Awful. Awful. So he brings on McTominay, partners McTominay with Ericsson, as if that's going to fix things. So now instead of Fred being a one-man midfield, Scott McTominay is the one-man midfield. can, Can someone please sit Scott McTominay down? Tell him... He didn't get the part in full metal jacket and do something about that barnet because it's awful. Anyway, things don't get any better for United from there. Now, they do have a couple of half chances. Cristiano misses a couple of headers. There's a couple of shots blocked. But Brentford had completely taken their foot off the gas. Brentford, Brentford were managing the game against Manchester United. Brentford hadn't beaten United in the league since the 1930s, largely because they hadn't been in the same division as United since the 1930s. Brentford were seeing out the game against United from half time. But the difference in this game 
was the attitude of the players. 93 minutes into this game, Brentford players were still swarming United in midfield, pressing the centre-backs, chasing down long balls, getting back in numbers. They were doing all the right fundamental things and United did none of them. Not in the first minute, nor the 94th minute. Brentford ran, I believe, 13 kilometres more than Manchester United as a combined unit. So in response, Ten Hag brought United in yesterday on what was meant to be the day off and made them run 13 kilometres. Now, I, I don't know that he made them all run 13 individual kilometres. My assumption is he made them run 1.2 kilometres each or something just as a punishment. But United were a disgrace. Front to back, back to front, left to right, disgrace. Subs, no better. Poor Donny van de Beek. He came on, he didn't know what he was meant to be doing, couldn't get involved in the game, and just looked so dejected walking off at halftime. Absolutely dejected. Guy made a great point before we came on air. Just imagine being Raphael Varane, if you will. Okay. So you're Raphael Varane. You're a... A French international footballer. You are 28 years of age. In your prime, you've been playing for Real Madrid for a decade. You've been first choice for seven years. In your career, you've won three league titles at Copa del Rey. You've won three Super Cups. You've won four, count them, four European Cups, three European Super Cups, four World Club Cups, and you've also won a FIFA World Cup with your national team. Okay, that's who you are. You're Raphael Varane. 86 caps, it was probably about 79 at the time. You're... Widely regarded as one of the best centre-backs in the world. Loved in your homeland. Loved by Madrid fans. They're offering you a new deal. But you want a new challenge. You've decided 10 years at Real, that's enough. I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to try something new. And you pick Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Because if you're leaving Real... You can only really go to Bayern Munich or Manchester United or anything else is perceived as a step down in terms of the scope and the scale of the club. You can't go to Barca for obvious reasons. So you've got two options, really. You could go to Milan or Juve or Liverpool or even Man City because of the money, Chelsea because of the money. But in terms of big clubs, it's Bayern United. And then with a little drop down, it's Milan the two Milan clubs, to be fair, Juve or Liverpool. That's kind of it. That's your pool. So you pick United. And 12 months after you sign, you're playing for your third manager in a year. I tell a lie. Michael Carrick oversaw a game. So fourth manager in a year. I did see a stat that Jaden Sancho has played under more managers for United than he scored goals. Four versus three. So for Varane, you're, you're three real managers, but the fourth manager to take a game. You're playing Brentford away. 
you hadn't heard of Brentford before you joined Manchester United. And you're sitting on the bench. Now, are you sitting on the bench because two other world-class centre-backs have kept you out of the team? No. <laughs> no, you're not. You're sitting on the bench because Harry Maguire, who's as mobile as a fridge and about the same size as, you know, one of those big American ones, is playing out of position, I might add, as the right-sided centre-back. And a midget is playing as the left-side centre-back. A gentleman who is five foot nine in his boots and has no pace to make up for it. This is what the new manager has decided. This new manager who wants to play a high line and play out from the back things that you, Raphael Varane, excel at. And this man wants to play a fridge and wee man as his centre-backs. Dr. Evil's best bud is playing instead of you. Harry Maguire, buildings move quicker than him, is playing instead of you. He brings you on at halftime and he plays you out of position because he won't move Maguire from the right-sided spot where Maguire can't play at all. Maguire is a left-sided centre-back. He has always been a left-sided centre-back. That is why Manchester United bought him because they needed a left-sided centre-back. But he's not a centre-back at all. He's £80 million worth of crap stuffed into a £30 million bag. That's what Harry Maguire is. Now, I've seen some people suggest United need to drop David De Gea. I agree. They do need to drop David De Gea. For who? Tom Heaton? Tom Heaton has played 23 minutes of senior football since January of 2020. So is that who you're bringing in in goal? Because the other guy who could have replaced them, you sent him out on loan to Forrest, and by the way, he was man of the match the weekend. David De Gea was one of, if not the best goalkeepers in the world up until just before the World Cup in 2018. Now, my good friend Mo Chatra made this point to me. He had been playing for a move for years. He wanted to join Real Madrid. There was the whole fax machine fiasco. But he still wanted that move. He wanted out of United. And then, you know, and then Real decided that their top target was Thibaut Courtois in the summer of 2018. And De Gea went to the World Cup and was awful. Absolutely awful. And then he came back to United. He was awful in 1819. He was awful in 1920. He was poor in 2021 and got dropped for Henderson. Then Henderson was meant to be the number one in 21-22. He got COVID. De Gea got back in the team and to his credit played quite well. He was good. He wasn't great. He wasn't the Superman he'd been in years previous, but he was good behind a shambolic defence. Because he had pressure on him, because he had something to play for, in the two first two years 
that he was really poor for United. Dean Henderson was on loan at Sheffield United, and no one really knew what Dean Henderson was like as a goalkeeper. Then he came back, and De Gea didn't really feel any pressure, because who's this kid? He's not taking my spot. Then he did take his spot, and he had some, some pressure on him. Now Henderson's gone, there's no pressure on him again, because Tom Heaton's not getting his spot. So you've got David De Gea, who's overpaid, underperforming, no competition, and a horrible fit for how United want to play. Then I've seen United fans say, well, just drop Maguire and play Varane and Martinez. That's fine. You certainly gain pace, you gain mobility, you gain more of an ability to play the high line, although you can't play a high line with De Gea because he doesn't need a six-yard box. So you could play a high line, but you're leaving an enormous gap in behind it, which is going to get exploited because Varane can't run like he used to and Martinez can't really run at all. Uh, and when he does, they're really short steps. His legs and Jordan Pickford's arms, they came from the same cadaver. That's a fact. You didn't know that, but that's a fact. Um, United are in big trouble. They're in big, big trouble. They have nothing to really cling to at the minute as a positive. The Cristiano situation is a circus. Uh, Bruno Fernandes doesn't appear to want to be there. Rashford looks like he wants out. Sancho just hasn't performed since he bought him. You've got no midfield. Ericsson's an awful fit in midfield. He has to play as a 10 or a left winger. If you do that, you can't play Bruno or you can't play Rashford. Um, you're, None of your defenders sit well together at all. You don't have a pairing. Your left backs are a shambles. Your right backs are bigger shambles. Your goalkeeper doesn't fit with any of it. Oh, and you've got no number nine. So what I would say is that United need to rebuild. But they've spent a billion quid to put this squad together. Now, United fans are obviously very quick to blame the Glazers, but just let me point out a couple of things. The Glazers didn't put together a centre-back partnership of Harry Maguire and Lisandro Martinez. They footed the bill for it to the cost of some £140 million or something like that, but they didn't decide that that was an acceptable pairing in the Premier League. The Glazers didn't pick... Christian Eriksen to play in central midfield. They footed the bill to sign him. They didn't pick him to play in central midfield. Not with Fred, not with McTominay. So, yes, the Glazers are bad owners. And, yes, there's a lot the Glazers have to answer for. But the current mess, the on-the-field mess, that's on Ten Hag as much as anybody. Because he put that team out there. And the same United fans who were adamant in pre-season that they were back. They beat Liverpool. They're back. What have you got to say now? What do you have to say now? Oh, it's the Glazers' fault. Well, was it the Glazers' fault when they were good in the preseason? Or or just now when it's bad? Because it can't be one or the other. The Glazers' problems, the Glazers' issue is... They haven't appointed a competent sporting director ever. When Ferguson left, they wanted to originally. When, when they came in, they wanted to. Ferguson put the block on it. Then Ferguson helped appoint Moyes. Moyes didn't want a sporting director, so that put the block on that. Then they got Van Hal. Van Hal wanted full control. They gave it to him because he's Louis Van Hal. They spent big money to get him. 
paid him a fortune, gave him what he wanted. Like, this is what United fans were asking for. United fans wanted Van Hal. They said, give him what he wants. So they did. They wanted Mourinho. Give him everything he wants. Back him. They did. They didn't want Ollie. But once he was in and doing well, United fans said, give him a permanent contract. They did. Then United fans said, back him to the hilt. And guess what? They did that as well. Then United fans wanted Ten Hag. They went and they got him. They got him. They gave him everything he wanted. All the money, all the control. If he can't get deals across the line, because he's got no pull, that's not, the, that's not the Glazers' fault. The Glazers' issue is they haven't put in competent people above them. And they could do it upgrading the stadium and the training ground and all that good stuff. I'm not saying the Glazers are good, but the Glazers have given United fans time and time again exactly what they've asked for. And United remain a train wreck. A train wreck. They finished twice since Ferguson retired. In neither season were they anywhere close to challenging for the title. United have not come close to the title since. But I do wonder if the first time United fans kicked off is the biggest reason United are where they are. The first time post-Ferguson. Do you remember what that was? Get Moyes out. Get Moyes out. Well, Moyes has gone on to do a really good job at West Ham. Moyes proved at Everton he's a good manager. Moyes took over a mess. Ferguson was holding that thing together with chewing gum. And once he was gone, it all fell apart. The squad was old. The squad lacked talent. It lacked young players. It lacked real desire anymore because they'd all won it all. It was different playing for Ferguson. They feared Ferguson. There was a respect for Ferguson that, no matter what he'd done in the game, Moyes was never going to have. You had players like Rio Ferdinand, who've been pretty open about the fact that they didn't respect him. And they looked at him coming from Everton and thought, well, you can't tell us anything. The entitled dressing room developed at United late on in Ferguson's reign, when people like Ferdinand were the senior voices in it. Him and Everett. Neville was gone. Keane was gone. The real strong Ferguson loyalists were gone. <clears throat> the dressing room had gone awry. And Moyes inherited that dressing room. And United's dressing room, to this day, remains toxic. United need to tear it down and build it back up again. But United fans won't accept that. United fans wouldn't accept a couple of years in mid-table for the potential of doing what Liverpool have done. <clears throat> they wouldn't accept that at all. United fans want things now. And they don't have the team to deliver. They don't have the manager to, to deliver. I said when he was hired, I thought he was the wrong choice. I thought it was the wrong choice for him. 
Uh, I think this job is too big for him. I think this job needs somebody with experience of rebuilding or just flat out building. He had had everything around him to make his life quite straightforward and simple at Ajax. He doesn't have that at Manchester United. And what he does have at Manchester United is he's a bunch of players who are overpaid, underperforming, um, over-pampered and toxic, to be totally honest with you. And until all of that changes and until that dressing room is cleared out, this United team are going nowhere. They're going absolutely nowhere. It needs to be torn down. Like, let's be really honest here. They need a new goalkeeper. Ideally, with the squad they have, you're probably looking to play a 4-3-3. Okay? So what have you got in 4-3-3 that you would say is absolutely, without question, good enough to play for Manchester United? I would suggest that on the right of midfield, you've got Bruno, who I fully admit has been out of form for about a season now. But you've got Bruno, and you've got Sancho on the left of a front three. Okay. Um, I would say Rafael Varane is good enough. And I would suggest that Lisandro Martinez is good enough, but not as a central defender. I would put him on the left of a midfield three. So I think they need a dynamic DM, a centre-back partner for Varane. I mean, they've just spent money on Malasia, so let's give the kid a chance. They need a goalkeeper, they need a right-back, they need a centre-forward, and they need a right-winger. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six players. United spent a billion quid and have five players, one of whom we don't know anything about in Malashium because he's played, you know, he's barely played in the Premier League level. Uh, he looked fine in, in the Netherlands, but I, I reckon there's people listening to this that could play in the Netherlands at, at times. Uh, you've got, for definite, you've got Varane, you've got Bruno, you've got Martinez, and you've got Sancho. And even with that, you've got Martinez having to settle into a position he doesn't fully know. So that could just take a little bit of adjustment. But... That's it. You've basically got four players plus this young left back. After all that money spent. After all that money spent. And here's the other part of it. You're not going to get a whole lot of money back for Maguire, for Shaw, for Wan-Bissaka, for De Gea, for any of these players, for Fred. You'd probably keep Fred as a, as a squad player. You're not getting a whole lot of money back. But United... United need a studs, a down to the studs rebuild. They really do. It's a shambles. And that performance on Saturday was the worst thing I've seen in a couple of years, to be honest. I like I've seen teams get heavily beaten, including them. I've never seen a team just give up the way they gave up. I've never seen that. Not from a Man United team. Not from any group of self-respecting professionals. I mean, Maguire seemed to give up a 2-0. That's the captain. That's the club captain. A 2-0 Cristiano 
started to flounce. At 1-0, he tried to do a little bit of motivation. It's just one goal. Let's go and get a goal back. At 2-0, he started to flounce. At 3-0, the arms were up in the air. The hands were on the hips. The, the, the lip was out. It was just tantrums. And at 4 nil, he's, he's just stopped playing. He got a little bit of a fire in his arse in the second half, but that was a bit out. A shambles from start to finish. The entire game. Like I said, Brentford players harassing United players in the 93rd minute. And then Brentford players having loads of time on the ball when they wanted it. Made a mockery of United. An absolute mockery. It's bad enough last season when Liverpool and City treated United like a training match. Brentford treated them like a training match. That's mortified. Absolutely mortified for you. So, the league table looks as follows. City top, Arsenal second, Brentford third, Tottenham, Newcastle, Leeds, Chelsea and Brighton, all with four points. City and Arsenal, the only two teams to win their first two games, uh, which is quite unusual. Uh, and then on three points, we have Villa, we have Forest, and we have Bournemouth. On two points, we've got Fulham. On one point, we've got Wolves, Leicester, Southampton, Everton, West Ham, and Manchester United, as well as Liverpool and Crystal Palace, who play tonight. So I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have a quick look at that Liverpool Palace game. We'll run through the gossip and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, Liverpool versus Crystal Palace tonight. The Reds will be without a number of players. Thiago Alcantara being the most important. But also Joel Matip, Diogo Jota. Uh, I believe Costa Simicus is going to miss out. Kevin Kelleher misses out. Liverpool are in a bit of a rough way at the moment with injuries. Palace will be hoping to see a massive improvement from their performance last weekend against Arsenal. If Palace can get a, a win or a draw, that will leave Everton, West Ham and Manchester United as the only teams with zero points after two games, uh, which we would called the David Moyes treble. Anyway, Liverpool should win this game. I've done uh, a talk about how nervous I am for this game over on uh, the Daily Red, so you can listen to that, but I am nervous. I I really am. I, it's bizarre. I'm, I can't have been this nervous for a home game. Genuine. Um, let's move on. Uh, Thomas Tuchel is to face an FA inquiry over his referee comments at the end of the game. Uh, I, listen, he, he said both goals should have been disallowed and he criticised the referee. He was right to criticise the referee, but I don't think I, I don't think the uh, the man needs any, any further punishment for it. Uh, some good other pieces here on the BBC website uh, about yesterday's game between Chelsea and Spurs. So do check those out, including one called Fight, Character and Depth, How Conte Has Changed Spurs. Uh, brilliant news if you're an Everton fan. You might be about to get 45 or to 50 million for what's at best a 20 million pound footballer. Chelsea bid 40 million for Anthony Gordon yesterday and apparently are going back for more. Callum Hudson Odoi can't get a game. He wants out of there. He's much more talented than Anthony Gordon, but apparently they want Anthony Gordon. The only logic I can see is maybe they think he can be a backup right wing back. 
Other than that, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> None. It's dreadful. Uh, United have reacted well to their 4-0 defeat. Apparently, they're now willing to sell James Garner, the young midfielder that they've never given a chance to. Uh, they've decided he's not up to it. But McTominay and Fred, they're the men for the job. Staggering incompetence. Staggering incompetence. Um, what else do we have? Uh, Benjamin Mendy's case has begun. The jury were told that Mendy sees women as disposable. Benjamin Mendy is a predator who turned the pursuit of women in for, of women for sex into a game. A court has heard. He is accused of eight counts of rape, one of attempted rape, and one of sexual assault. Jesus Lord wept. That is, it is very, very hard to read that about anybody, let alone somebody of his profile. Uh, his co-accused, Luis Saha Mature, not to be confused with Luis Saha, who played for Fulham, Everton and United, not to be confused with him. This is a different, a different man. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't read well at all. And we will see what comes of this, but it's very hard to see that he'll get off. It really is very hard to see that he'll get off with this. Um more about the Ryan Giggs case, it's ongoing. You can read about that yourselves. It just after that, it just depresses me. Uh New look Chelsea are a force to be reckoned with, according to a piece here. I will say, I said this. I thought people were writing them off far too quickly. Yes, it's a bit of a circus. Yes, Bowley's a bit of a clown. And yes, he's playing football manager. But, I mean, Koulibaly's really good. He's better than Rudiger. Uh, Sterling's really good. He's better than Timo Werner. And Cucurella's really good. He's better than Ben Chilwell, which makes Chilwell the backup. And Chilwell is much better than Marcus Alonso. Or should be anyway, once he's fully fit. Uh, they've improved. Like how They've improved. How are they going to fall off? They've got an outstanding manager as well. Who got his game plan, by the way. Perfect yesterday. Um, let's do the gossip. Let's do the gossip. We've talked enough for today. Uh, let's see. We've got three days worth. So we can jump in and start with Saturdays. I hope you're not reading this on your own, by the way. You wait for me to read to this. And then it comes a big surprise to you. Um, Manchester United want to sign Hakim Ziyech after failing to muscle in on Timo Werner's... Timo Werner's exactly what United don't need. Ziyech wouldn't be a dreadful fit. Not ideal, but wouldn't be dreadful. Newcastle could target Christian Pulisic, says The Athletic. Chelsea will need to fend off interest from Juventus if Juve sell Adrian Rabio. Juve have been linked with some other midfielder. Oh, uh, Paredes from PSG, uh, who's better than better than Jorginho and, and younger and probably cheaper. Uh, West Ham have submitted a big money offer for Memphis Depay. This was football insider David Moyes came out straight away and denied it. Despite links with Chelsea, there was no links with Chelsea, Bayern, Barca or Atletico Madrid. No one wants Cristiano. Todd Bowley considered it because he's a fool and it's a splashy name. But no one wants him. Nobody would want him from a footballing point of view. Bowley wanted him from a business point of view and because he's one of the footballers he'd heard of. No one wants him. He is staying United because no one wants him. 
Bordeaux have accepted an offer of £3.4 million from Nottingham Forest for 29-year-old South Korea striker Huang Weizhou. I have no idea if that's true. Forest are set to launch a fresh £30 million bid from Morgan Gibbs-White after having a £25 million plus add-on offer rejected. Whisper it quietly, but I'd take Morgan Gibbs-White at Liverpool. Um, but I think he'll stay at Wolves. Napoli have reached an agreement with Tottenham to sign Tangai and Nabele. Tangai and Nabele and Zambo and Gisa together. I will be watching a lot of Napoli this season. Uh, Brazilian winger Willian's move to Fulham is at the final stage after he, con- after he terminated his contract with Corinthians. Um, I, 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 I don't understand. I've, I don't understand why Fulham are signing him. I really don't. I understand why he's making a move. He wants to move back to London because that's where his house is. That's where his family were happy. Uh, and that's fine. But I, I look, maybe he can offer something at this point. Uh, Fulham want to sign Senegal striker Bamba Dieng with Celtic also keen. I don't think Celtic can afford him. So he probably ends up at Fulham if he leaves Marseille, obviously. Manchester United have identified Stuttgart and Austria striker Sasa Kalazic as a key target. A key target. We're midway through August and they're only now identifying key targets. Uh, Leicester are prepared to lose Yuri Thielemans on a free transfer next summer unless they receive a suitable offer for the 25-year-old. They're probably better off. They probably are. Just keep them. Try and get the best you can out of them. Try and get into Europe and that'll pay back the money. Uh, Chelsea and Germany forward Kai Havertz has attracted the... uh, the attention of Bayern Munich. Um, he's not going anywhere this summer, so it doesn't really matter. Hector Bellerin has been offered to Barcelona. I mean, I, no. Barcelona are negotiating with Manchester United about selling Serginho Dest. I don't believe that to be true. Manchester United are continuing their search for a backup goalkeeper with Alex McCarthy, of Seth, formerly of Southampton, on the radar. My head hurts, lads. My head hurts. What are they doing? Former Spain midfielder Ander Herrera has agreed to rejoin Athletic Bilbao if he can reach financial agreement with PSG over the remainder of his contract. Love that move. Love that move for him and for Athletic Bilbao. Uh, Chelsea have made an improved offer of £10 million for Inter Milan midfielder Cesare Casedi, but the Serie A side won £15 million for the 19-year-old. Um, it's Chelsea are weird. They're weird. Like they paid twenty million for Carney Chukwemekin, just paid it. No one else was offering ten. Chelsea, yeah, grand twenty. Yes, oh, you want fifteen? Here's twenty. We'll give you fifteen on the add-ons, but we only want fifty. No, take the add-ons. Brighton wanted fifty-two million for fifty-two million for. Mark Cucurella. Here's 62 and a half. Take the add-ons. Yeah, a bizarre club. And now won't, won't cough up to get this kid. Um, West Ham have had a £25 million bid for Sporting Lisbon's Portugal midfielder Matthias Nunez rejected. Uh, they didn't have a bid rejected. He just rejected the move. Uh, Manchester, sorry, Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola expects Sergio Gomez to be in Manchester City's final signing of the summer. Um. Maybe, maybe. I wouldn't put a past them to have something else lined up, though. Bruno Lage is pushing Wolves to offer Ruben Neves a £100 a week deal. And rightly so. 
he is their best player by well, I'm going to consider him magic because Neto's excellent, but he is their best player. Chelsea have agreed personal terms at Wesley Fafana, but have had two bids rejected. Uh, Leicester need to ring the Premier League and say, hello, our player has been tapped up. The newspapers know about it. You need to know about it. Netherlands midfielder Frankie de Jong and Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang could also be on the way to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea would be de Jong's preferred destination, apparently. Uh, according to the Metro, though, the Metro, well known for its reliability, uh, de Jong has told his Barcelona teammates he's now likely to sign for Manchester United. If he watched... See, here's how I know this is nonsense. The tagline is Metro Transfer News Reporter. They don't even name the person that's written this drivel. Source, trust me, bro. Um, God. Manchester United have held talks with Atletico Madrid over a possible £30 million move for Alvaro Morata. Oh, God, lads. What are we... What are you doing? Manchester United have reiterated the Paris Saint-Germain that Marcus Rashford is not for sale. However... Paris Saint-Germain are to offer Rashford a long-term deal to partner Kylian Mbappe. Newcastle have made Conor Gallagher the number one target in the final weeks. And Conor Gallagher would be a really nice fit next to Gamerish and Jolington with Willock. That that kind of four-man group, that's not bad at all. Um, Giovanni Lo Celso has made a season-long loan move back to Villarreal. Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola does like Kieran Tierney, but we've known that for years. Newcastle are in talks with Benfica in a bid to reach agreement over £35 million Portuguese striker Gancalo Ramos, who's a good player. Um, Endembele to Napoli, Forrest and Mopai. Destiny Adoji was left out of the Udinese squad uh, at the weekend as he gets ready for a medical at Spurs. Brighton and Ecuador midfielder Moses Casado has caught the eye of Arsenal. See the, this. He well, he ran the show against United last weekend, so he'll definitely have caught their eye. Considering they tried to buy him a couple of years ago and he turned them down. Uh, Crystal Palace are interested in Bristol City and Ghana striker Anto- Antoine Semenyo. I don't know much about him. Um, they. Wouldn't be without another option in attack. It would probably help. Uh, young player. What's he done with himself? Eight goals in 31 championship games last season. Not bad. It's not bad. Um, 25 goals in 146 games for Bristol and Loans at Bath in the National League South. Newport in League Two and Sunderland in League One. Uh, to be fair to the kid, he's been playing senior football since he was 17. So, you know, he's obviously, he'll be hardened by that. But um, I, I don't know how good he is, honestly. Uh, right, last day's worth of gossip. Uh, Pierre-Americk Aubameyang wants to fight for his place at Barcelona. That's fine. Uh, Barcelona want a fee of about 23 million. <laughs> 23 million for Aubameyang. They got him on a free. Oh. That club is not... It's not a serious club. Um, Just walk away, Chelsea. Just walk away. 
Barcelona manager Xavi has asked the club to re-sign Lionel Messi. They can't even register the players. They've got more about Moises Casado. Apparently West Ham also like him along with Arsenal and United. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was offered to both Milan clubs and they both turned him down because no one wants him. United have denied speculation this contract will be terminated. I'd be really interested to see who'd sign him if his contract was terminated. I'd be really interested to see. Nottingham Forest have submitted a £17 million bid for Gibral Sow. I, I doubt that one. I, I really doubt that one. I think the Hulsey Marrow one might be real, but I, I really doubt that the Gibral Sow stuff is real. Um, Leicester City are willing to let Arsenal and Belgian midfielder Utilimus League for free. Everton are keen on Armando Brogia. They asked for him in the, the Gordon deal. Like, if you're Everton, right, and you've got Anthony Gordon, who at most is worth 20 million, and some very silly man comes knocking on the door and says, we'll give you 40 million. If he'll give you 40, he'll probably give you a bit more. So why not say to him, look, we want players. Give us... Give us Conor Gallagher and Broya on loan for two years or Hudson-Odoi on loan for two years. Give us that. Broya would make more sense because they need a backup striker behind uh, Calvert-Lewin. And I think those two could actually play together uh, in, in the right shape. But just be bold about it. Give us Gallagher or give us Hudson-Odoi and give us two years alone for Broya and 10 million. Be cheeky about it. Why not? I've got more money than sense. Southampton and Scotland forward Che Adams is high on Everton's list of potential signings. This is what they'll do. They'll sell Gordon and they'll spend the money on him. And he's a good player. I like him, but come on now. Uh, Everton value Anthony Gordon at 50 million. If this is Ben Jacobs, this is spoofing. Yes, this is spoofing. Uh, over spoofing. Uh, Blackburn had the chase to sign Seth Vandenberg. I do believe that one to be true. West Ham have submitted an £8.5 million bid for Spezia and Poland defender Jakob Kiewar, uh, into Mil AC Milan, also interested in the player. He is he's very, very promising. He looked really good last season in the bits that I know. Again, minimal bits, but decent player. Decent player. Um, 22 years of age, tough, strong, senior international. Yeah, that, that's one that makes sense. Uh, nice have inquired about Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea. I'd imagine the answer was yes, please take him away. Brighton are in talks to sign Purvis to Stupin, and I like him. It's a shame he never got his chance at Watford. Uh, Everton could sign Villarreal's Senegalese midfielder, Nicholas Jackson by activating a £27 million release clause. So he's quite highly regarded. He's an attacking midfielder. But he barely played last season. I don't know if he was injured. He barely played last season. Bournemouth are interested in signing Ghana centre-back Abdul Mamin from Gimerish. Uh Yeah, look, sign all the players you can because you're going to need them. Uh, look, I've gone really long today, so I'm not going to talk about anything else. I did want to touch on the Sunes thing, but I'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, 
So I'll see you then. I'll see you tomorrow. Make sure you listen to the EPL Roundtable. Make sure you listen to A Tad Predictable. And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.